You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message, but before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Been a while since I've been up here. You get nervous every time. I don't know if everybody will tell you that, but you do. Your knees always shake. Um, Father, I thank you for the opportunity. I never take it for granted. Um, You always open doors that no man can close. So I thank you, Father, that um, they'll hear something from you that they need and that uh, you'll help me show them what you've shown me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Sorry I missed it. Last weekend was in a conference in San Diego. Actually, we were 20 minutes from where the synagogue shooting took place. And the Uber driver that took us to the airport was in shock because that's where she lived. So it was really close. There's things happening. And um, I think it was Joseph Prince said that the world is going to get darker. But the good news is we shine that much brighter. And so as we were driving to the airport, we were able to tell her about the protection of the Lord and the faithfulness of the Lord and and those kind of things. Uh, So I missed it last Sunday, but the Lord must have moved because everybody came, Leon came home and excited, Miss Ozell was excited and she said, people want to go. And Angie, who hardly ever texts me, texted me and said, okay, when can we start paying? So I thought, God, you did something. I don't know what, but you did something. Um, Also, it's a vision of ours um, to take people to Israel. It's just a vision. And to see the joy on on their faces when they step into the Jordan or uh, when they sail on the Sea of Galilee, just to to see what God does in a person's heart. And... um, when we started it, I was like, we, this kind of business, you need God to bring the people. And we're in a season of the latter rain. And this has nothing to do with my notes. But we're in a season of the latter rain. There's a former rain, and then there's a latter rain. And then the latter rain is the last rain of the season. And after that rain, everything starts to blossom and to bloom. And that's the season we're in with the Lord. Now, Israel gets two rains a year. They get the former one, which is, I think, around October, maybe November. That's the first one. And the seeds are put in the ground. They start to germinate, and they do their thing underground, and we don't know how that happens, but God does. And then the latter rain comes in the spring around April, May. And that's when everything starts to blossom, and you can get the fruit off the trees and all of that. Israel is dependent on the former and the latter rain. They're dependent on it. If God doesn't give the first one, Okay, the seeds don't start their action. If he doesn't give the second one, they don't give a harvest. But it's a picture of a people coming out of Egypt and instead of looking down and working in the ground like they used to, now they look up to heaven to get their blessing. It's a picture of that when they got to Canaan. They needed this former and this latter rain. We're in the season of the latter rain and the business that Leon and I have started, and I say business lightly because as far as we're concerned, it's a ministry. After we get the former rain, we get one group. Guess what? 
we need the latter rain to get the next group. And after we take that group, we need another group for God to, to let us keep doing what we feel is in our heart, and then we need a next group. And so we have to, we're in a position where we have to keep looking up to God and what better place in the world to be, where each time you're dependent on God to put it together. Uh, the latter rain, when you research it in, in Hebrew, and I know this is none of my notes, and when you research it, who's doing the clicking? Okay. I, I keep it. So the thing is, the latter rain in Hebrew is not just a little rain like you might have experienced when you come here. It is a torrential downpour. It's one that's so heavy, you probably have to hold on some, to something. It's such that kind of blessing from God. And that's the season that you're in. And the Bible says, ask of God rain in the time of the latter rain. So I've changed the way that I pray now. And I know what season I'm in. And, and you know what? You got to know what season. Because if you got rain every day of your life, it'll kill a plant. It'll kill, kill a plant and you can't handle that. So you needed everything in this season. So first of all, with the Lord, you have to know what season you're in. And then when you know what season, and I'm telling you, we're in the time of the latter rain. God says, then ask of me rain in the time of the latter rain. He says, ask for me and I'm going to do something. And it speaks of a manifestation of blessing that requires no effort. No effort. And I understand that. And so I go to California and while I'm out there, Leon says, they want applications. And different places um, where people are, they say, people want applications. These people I never even met. But it's the rain and the time of rain. It's what's happening. And I'm telling you that so that you can apply it to different things that are going on in your life. Um, I wanted to talk about um, the first one. I guess I, it, it doesn't get old for me going. It doesn't get old. And each time, the first time I think I went, when we turned the corner going to the Jordan, it was like I stepped into a bubble of the Holy Ghost. And he said, I've been waiting on you. And when I stepped in, everybody seemed far away. I remember talking and I could hear, but I was somewhere else with the Lord. It was like he just wrapped himself around me. And uh, I sat with my feet in the water and the fish nibble on your feet and, and big fish come and just <laughs> nibble on you and it tickles. But I mean, the whole time I was just, I didn't get baptized. I've been baptized three times in my life. I thought if that didn't do it. I don't know what will, but you know, some people need that. They want it, that's good. But uh, I sat with the fish and um, I just remember for me, that was just my experience with the Lord. And then Leon's had been to see a Galilee, but the Holy Spirit doesn't jump through our hoops, okay? So I've been several times since then and I have an experience when I turn that corner, him, the Holy Spirit going, waiting on you. It was for that moment, it was for that time. And I've had other experiences with the Lord. And I'm glad because you can't tell the Holy Spirit what to do, you can't predict it. You wait for him to, to do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it. Well, this last time, for me, it was on Masada. And I don't know how much you all know about Masada. You got that picture? Okay, this is the ramp going up to Masada. It is 
so many miles high, and I should have researched it, I don't know, but when you get in that glass, right, Stephen, when you get in that glass elevator going up to the top, you, you, you kind of brace yourself. Okay, we're going up, we're going up. And does anybody know how high it is? Miles, it's miles high, right? Anyway, Masada is a place where uh, the temple had been destroyed by the Romans and some people, soldiers and families, they made, they got away down to the Dead Sea and they got up on this high mountain called Masada and they were resisting the Romans. This is where they made their last stand. And they resisted all those Roman soldiers. You know how, how high? 1,300 feet. Okay, and it feels like it. And, uh, <laughs> and so um, that's where they made their last stand against the Romans. You know, they said, we will not be taken alive. And they resisted the Romans, the Jewish soldiers and their families for three years. But after three years, there were so many Romans and they were so skilled that they began to build a ramp up to the mountain where they could get up. And so they said, we won't be caught alive. So what they did was they started throwing their wives and their children off the mountain. Better to, to die than to be made a slave is what they said. And it got down to 10 soldiers and they drew lots to see who was going to kill who to be the last one. And so when the Romans finally got up to Masada, everybody was dead except I think they found one woman and a few babies tucked in a corner somewhere uh, alive. But all those thousands of people were dead. And so um, it became what for Israel and open, it became a grave site. On top of the mountain and all around the base of the mountain, it became a grave. Now, what happened was God had given Ezekiel a prophecy. And the prophecy is 37, 12 to 14, I believe. Is that up there? Do you have that? Do we have the prophecy? Okay. All right, I gotta see it from here, right? I think I can do it. Ezekiel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. Now what happened when all these people got killed on Masada, that was the end of Israel, uh, the Hebrews, the Israelites being in Israel. That was it, period. Okay, a nation had been destroyed, except for a few here, a few there, and a few that had made, been able to escape. Nation was destroyed. And it, they were left from that land, gone from that land for 2,000 years, except God had given Ezekiel a promise and when you study Ezekiel, and it's been one of my favorite for years, when God gave Ezekiel this promise, he said, he showed Ezekiel the Valley of Dry Bones, and this is what he was showing him, Masada. The, and so he said, can they live again? And Ezekiel said, I don't know. He said, you know. And God said, okay, prophesy. Just prophesy. And he said, as I prophesied, I heard bones coming together. I heard everything. He said, by the time I got through prophesying, I was looking at an army from a valley of dead, dry bones, no life. I was looking at an army standing before me. 
So he gives Ezekiel this prophecy. And where is the prophecy bird? On Masada. But I don't want to get ahead of the story. So Israel is scattered for 2,000 years. And then we know in 1948, after 2,000 years of not having a home and being cast out and destroyed from Israel, they come home. And in a day, a nation is born again. It's born again, 1948. So time goes on, time goes on. The soldiers come back and they start to build up the army. And a famous soldier and archeologist decides to go to Masada and excavate. They're excavating all over Israel, digging up things. Where was Jesus? Where was this synagogue? Where was this? And they begin on Masada to excavate. And there's a synagogue right on the top of Masada where they had church as we know it. And what do they find in this synagogue but the prophecy from Ezekiel where God told him prophesy because I am going to raise, open up this grave and bring life back again where there was no life. And when we get there, and I'm in this synagogue and we're on top of this huge mountain and off in the distance you can see the Dead Sea and the sky is blue and there are clouds and I'm sitting and I'm going, this is where Ezekiel put the word he got from God down in the ground and they found it right here and I'm standing. And what they do now, Israel, is they bring soldiers when they are about to be confirmed as soldiers. They take them up to the top of Masada as to learn their history and to put in them, it's better to die than to be a slave. Fight to the end. And it's part of their training. And so all these soldiers that God prophesied through Ezekiel and that Ezekiel saw are now coming, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of soldiers come to Masada. And it speaks to you of the faithfulness of God. I don't care if it takes a year. I don't care if it takes two years. If you have a promise, he's faithful. He's faithful. 2,000 years later, what he told Ezekiel, is buried in the synagogue on the top of Masada in the very place where there was the grave. Now soldiers are coming and soldiers are coming. And I thought, I could sense the presence of the Lord and his faithfulness. And so when we got ready to leave, I looked at Naphtali, our tour guide. I said, I could stay here all day. He said, Wanda, you say that about every place. <laughs> he said, you say it every time we go somewhere. But I thought I could stay here all day. And it's just a picture of the faithfulness of God. And if you have a promise, he is faithful to his word. You just need to know the promise. The other place, and I did put a scripture up, Luke 137. And I just thought I'd put that up. For with God, nothing will be impossible. If it's death, if it looks like a hopeless situation, I don't care what it is. With God, nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible. Um, the next one that I wanted to tell you about was um, the things we learned, the pinnacle. Do you remember when Jesus was being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights out in the wilderness? I've studied the word for years and, and it's like you don't see what, what you don't see. And I just had this picture in my mind. Jesus was out in the wilderness and, and the devil took him up. Satan took him up to a high mountain and said, now jump. But it wasn't the case. What actually happened was the Bible says he took him back into the city, to the temple. OK, 
And he took him at the highest point of the temple and told him to jump. And what's the highest point? It's where the eastern gate is. And on the eastern gate is a wall where Jesus went in uh, on the donkey. And then there's a southern wall and it makes a corner like this. And he took him to that very corner. But why was that the highest place? Because you know how you can have a building and then there's like a, a ditch below? There's a ditch called the Kidron Valley. And because that ditch was so far, so far below that corner, that was the highest place. He could have gone on any corner of the wall, but if he, being on that particular corner, if he jumped, he would have had to go farther. And we saw the corner. I mean, you're looking at the corner where the enemy took Jesus to jump. And I got it. And I went, oh. But you're looking at where Jesus was. And I mean, it's things like that. Uh, the other thing, let's see, um, when he told him, he said, if you are the son of God, Ben Elohim, and let me tell you what he was really saying. He said, if you're a son of God, Elohim is the name of God as uh, creator and judge of the earth. So he was saying, if you're the son of the creator and the judge of the earth, and uh, it also means that there's nobody higher, nobody more powerful, nobody mightier, and he's the only one, then jump. But Jesus answered him with another name from God. He says, uh, the Lord said for you uh, that you were not to tempt him. And um, Jesus uses the word for the father, Adonai. And the word Adonai means Lord, master, and owner. He was, and it speaks of somebody who has a relationship with God. Satan used the word for God, Ben Elohim, that doesn't necessarily require a relationship. You just need to know he's the creator. But Jesus said, no, Adonai, we're not to tempt him. And Adonai speaks of a relationship, total submission to whatever he wants in my life. Whatever he wants, Adonai has it. So he used another name. Um, I wanted to talk about where um, David, and I, I'm kind of at a disadvantage because I don't know what you all told, so I'm going to give it my best. I'm sure somebody talked about where David picked up the rocks. Did you all talk about that? You mentioned it. Well, the thing about it, um, it, it blows your mind. I had no idea that where David and Goliath were, that that mountain where the Philistines were, was so close to where the Hebrew soldiers were. I mean, it was close. And so I guess that was by design, which meant whatever David was saying to Goliath and whatever Goliath had to say, everybody on both mountains could hear it. And so we went down in the riverbed and, and if you want to, you could get rocks and I brought th three rocks home. And I just, it, it, but what it spoke to me was not only that the Lord had allowed me to be there, but that God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. What am I saying? The whole time that the Philistines were up here, they were looking at rocks thinking, rocks. The whole time that the Hebrew soldiers are up here, they're thinking, rocks. It's just rocks. But the Lord takes the foolish things and he takes somebody seemingly as insignificant as David 
And David picks up something that everybody walks on, steps on, spits on, pays no attention to. And he picks that thing up and it takes down Goliath. And God, and I'm, where I'm standing, I'm going, they probably had overlooked it. They probably never even considered a rock. But God, that's why he gets the glory. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and he'll do it every time. That's why we're good candidates, people. <laughs> That's why we qualify. But it doesn't matter, it doesn't, it's kind of like when he told uh, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And David's out there and he said, David, get a rock. They, they don't think I can use it, but just grab a rock and it will be enough. And just the joy and the beauty, and I'm grateful to the Lord that I stood in that riverbed where David went down. And just for a minute in my mind, I thought, God, am I picking up a rock that was next to the one David picked up? It's possible. It's possible. And so I got my rock. Um, they were all sizes, but because I had to go through customs in the airport and I didn't want to be detained, <laughs> I didn't get that size, you know what I'm saying? But, but they're actually small. They're actually small. And I'll throw in a little joke. My cousin, who doesn't, is this, is this being filmed? <laughs> well, anyway, uh, he was so funny. He kept saying, I'm going to get a gift that don't cost a lot. I said, what kind of gift are you taking back? He said, dirt and rocks. And I said, and grass. And I started laughing, and then I realized he was serious. And he had his own bottle for his water. He had a bag for the dirt. He had a bag for the rocks. And then when I realized he was serious, he said, free, and they'll be happy. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, customs is not going to let you get through uh, customs like that. And if they detain you, they're going to detain all of us. We can't do that. So after a little bit of convincing, and it took some work, as far as I know, he didn't bring the grass and he didn't bring the dirt, but we did bring some rock and the water. They have water bottled up for you, sealed up. But you have to be careful with that thing. But anyway, it was kind of funny until I realized he was serious. So to answer your question, I got pretty small rocks so I could, you know, because even the last day in the airport, we're all switching stuff in the suitcase so it's not over 50 pounds because they'll charge you. We just started throwing stuff in one suitcase and another. It was pretty wild. Um, the next thing that I wanted to tell you about um, were the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they had to kind of boot me and Matthew out. And these are the actual writings that uh, Isaiah, or if he had a scribe, hot off the press. God speaks to Isaiah. It's written down on a scroll, hot off the press from God. And they discovered these things. And they say it was by accident. Isn't that funny? And some Bedouins, I believe, they are nomads who still live in camps and, and uh, live out in the wilderness and don't really hang out with other people. And I'm looking, and we were riding by their camps, and I'm thinking, poor lady, <laughs> poor mama that has to live there. Because, I mean, it's way out in the wilderness, but that's the lifestyle. And they, you know, they're nomads. They travel from uh, pasture to pasture, mountain to mountain. But anyway, these Bedouins, they say, accidentally found these Dead Sea Scrolls and didn't even know what they had. And um, so they're in this museum type, and the glass is so thick that if you tried to get to one of them, I'm sure the whole nation of Israel would pounce on you. But I'm looking at the original Word of God as he gave it. And uh, I saw this prayer, 
And there was a lady on our trip named Catherine. And she was looking at that prayer too. I said, that is beautiful. I said, I'm gonna write that down. Well, by now everybody's leaving. And she said, that's all right, I'll hold your stuff. Write it down and send it to me. So she's holding my stuff and I'm, I'm writing and I'm writing and, and we're looking and we can't see anybody and thinking we could be in trouble. But anyway, I wrote the prayer down. It's a prayer or a declaration and I thought you might get, enjoy it. It says, I am dust and ashes. What can I plan if you do not wish it? What can I devise without your will? How can I be strong if you do not make me stand? How can I be learned if you do not mold me? What can I say if you do not open my mouth? How can I answer if you do not give me insight? See, you are the Prince of Gods and the King of the Glorious Ones, Lord of every spirit, ruler of every creature. Apart from you, nothing happens and nothing is known without your will. There is none besides you. And so, I wrote it down and I'm gonna type it up and send it to Catherine, but it just blessed me. I thought whoever wrote that knew the Lord and knew that everything comes from him. And so it was one of those places where Naphtali came and he puts his hand on his hip and, and Matthew's looking at one, I'm looking at the, and we wanted to stay there. And when I got up to him, I said, I could stay here all day. He said, you say it everywhere we go. <laughs> and then we went on. Um, the other place uh, is in Getty. Do we have pictures of Engedi? Okay, that's Engedi. That was one of your favorite places. Engedi uh, is where David, in the caves and the mountains, is where David was hiding from Saul. And it's also a place where the Song of Solomon uh, refers to Engedi all the time, where she's going to meet uh, meet him. Beautiful place. And you know, Song of Solomon is my favorite book, and it talks about gazelles. And she says in the Song of Solomon, if you try to interrupt what's happening between me and Solomon, this is what the Shulamite says, she says, he will render you as helpless as a gazelle in a field. Well, as I researched it, I think I told you, a gazelle has special feet, and as long as they're uh, on a, the high places or mountains or certain places, they can get away from their enemy because he doesn't have those special feet. But if they're in a field, they're helpless. So she says in the Song of Solomon, if you try to stop what God is doing with me, he'll render you helpless as a gazelle in a field. Well, all the times that I've been to Israel, this was the first time I saw a gazelle for myself. And not only did we see one when we went in Gedi, we saw multiple gazelles. We saw families of gazelles. And the first one I saw was in a tree, in a bush, out on a limb, it looked like the mom. And I mean, the limb was like this, and she was just eating and having a ball as if no worries in the world. Her babies were off to the side, the daddy was watching them all, beautiful. And I don't know, yeah, this is her in the, in the tree. You see her? In the tree, eating. And everywhere we went, and it was almost as if the Holy Spirit was, you, know, you preach about this, how about seeing one? Let me show you some. And it was just so beautiful. And then the children, where we went, I think you showed them a picture of the children playing on the, uh, uh, and Leon and I had just this longing for our grandchildren to be out here under this waterfall playing. They were, the children were laying out on rocks. So it's something we put before the Lord that we can take the family. Uh, 
That'd be a pretty penny, but nevertheless, we know God and, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So it's a, it's a prayer that we have before the Lord that we can take all the children and we just have this vision of them laying out on the rocks, just playing and having a ball. So the next one. Okay, Song of Solomon 2, 8 through 9. I think I have a scripture. And it says, listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows and peering through the lattice. And it speaks of someone who loves you, the lover of your soul, Jesus. There's nothing that can keep him from getting to you. What's hard for you, hard places, mountains, rocks, is not hard. He can go over all of it, and he will do it. And he's always watching you, always beholding the one that he loves, always dancing over you. So I thought about that scripture. Okay, the next place, and I don't think I have pictures for it, it, this. We actually went to a place called the gates of hell. Remember Jesus said the revelation that Peter had, he said the gates of hell, that he was the Christ. He said the gates of hell would not prevail against this. And I don't have pictures of that, didn't think of it. But anyway, I still, to this day, can't understand why they call it the gates of hell. It was one of the most beautiful places I have ever seen in my life. But nevertheless, and it was in a place called Dan. I guess that's where the tribe of Dan has settled. But here's what I wanted to tell you about this place. The Jordan River, one of the strongest, most powerful rivers in Israel, is made up of three springs that feed into it, and it becomes a river, three springs. One of them originates in Dan. So as you're going, he said, do you want to see the beginning of the spring? And of course, yeah, if I do. So we start hiking up to get to the, the origin of this, this uh, spring. Now, down near the bottom, it's rushing so fast and so beautiful and so strong, you can't cross it. It's that powerful. But as we go up, it gets smaller. As we go up, it gets more narrow. And as we go up, we get to the place where it starts and it's just bubbling out of the ground, very quiet and very simple. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, I told you out of your belly would flow rivers of living water. He's talking about praying in tongues. That's what he's talking about. And it starts out just something simple. It starts out something so simple, washing dishes, cleaning the house, driving the car, so simple. But as you do it, God said, it becomes a river. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. By the time you're finished, you don't know who you pray for. You might have been praying for somebody in China. You don't know. You might have been praying for the safety of a loved one. You don't know. But it starts out just as a trickle. But by the time God is finished and the more you do it, it becomes that mighty, mighty spring that feeds into the Jordan. And I went, oh, oh, he said, see how simple it started? He said, did you see what it became near the end? And I went, oh. The last story that, that I, I have for you is my own personal story. Um, and, and you will have your own. And those that, that have been, you have your own, for instance, Lisa, a good friend of mine that I work with, and she actually taught Stephen and Matthew when they were younger, and maybe Carmen, I'm not sure. Um, 
very, very dear friend of mine, very dear sister, she went. And one of her desires in her heart was to hold a lamb. So we go to this restaurant, I think it might have been the last day, and I look at her and she cried the whole time. <laughs> when she said, I'm gonna cry, you were like, well, that's what you do. <laughs> and so she, she gets in the restaurant, she's just doing this, and I said, what's up? And she said, I wanted to see a lamb, and there was a little boy standing outside the restaurant, and he was holding a lamb that was brown and white, and he just put him in my arms. And I'm thinking, well, they probably smell, and I would have to wash my hands again. And that, that wasn't what I needed, right? But it was what she needed. And God made sure that little boy was standing there with this lamb. And I mean, he does all these personal things for you. He tell and makes it so that you know that he sees you. Well, um, my story takes place. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.